one day I was talking with a rabbi friend about redemption. And as often is the case, we were talking broadly rather than specifically. What does Christianity think about this? What does Judaism think about this? Which rarely has one answer, but often has a general answer. And so, as is often talked about in Christianity, the model of redemption that I offered was the satisfaction model, or a debt paid. It's the bloody version in hymns, especially hymns from a certain era. The ones that say we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, or ask, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb, or assure you that Jesus paid it all, or yes, that there is power in the blood. It is actually one model of atonement, which means how we are reconciled to God. But it's a pretty popular one. And it's one that is spoken every time someone says, Jesus died for my sin. Now the truth is, I'm a bigger fan of pretty much every other model of atonement, and I'm happy to tell you more about those if you want to know. But what I remember that day was the horror on this rabbi's face. And he began to talk and say, but that doesn't make things better. How does that help with something terrible? How does that help with something like the Holocaust? How does that help when something isn't going to get better? He said, God can redeem terrible things and somehow make something good out of them. Now, not surprisingly, I happen to agree with him much more than a view of Jesus died for my sins. And when I think of redemption, I actually think of those mending videos from the beginning. There are different names for that practice of visible mending, but clearly it takes the whole and makes something new out of. And I think of it as simple, but beautiful, and also like something that I could probably do with just a little bit more practice than I have now. But most of all, it is restorative. It is a way of mending that honors the damage done. It doesn't seek just to hide it, but a continuation and something new rather than destruction. It seems much more about a way forward for something as simple as a pair of jeans rather than destruction, rather than pretending they were never ripped at all. And while that seems so simple and maybe a little too simple, it's also the story of Ezekiel's scroll, a scroll that was filled with lamentations and woes that were real and profound and difficult and weren't just going to go away. And so of course, a scroll filled with lamentations and woes would be expected to be bitter. Except that in the presence of God, it is somehow sweet. The lamentations and woes were not just taken away, they weren't erased, they didn't disappear but they were transformed. 
they were made into something that offered a way forward rather than just sitting in the terror. I think many of us can understand redemption that way and look for ways to move forward. But our participation in God's work of redemption is also real. And I think of one of the most simple and personal acts of redemption is actually a funeral. Not just having a funeral for someone, but being the person who shows up, who volunteers to share in somebody's grief, and with that share in the memories and the longing and the hopes for what would have been and the joy of what has been, and to look for a way to move forward, to move forward past birthdays and anniversaries and Christmases and Easter's and all of those things. And if Errol acknowledges that while the loss remains, there is an opportunity to participate in new goodness. And what will happen? What will happen next? The book that we just, some of us just finished reading together on Sunday morning, Men We Read, tells the story of a funeral practice in which they have t-shirts made. They wear to the funeral, they wear after, that has pictures of the person on it. And so that t-shirt becomes this living memory, this thing that they want to remember about the person. And I imagine it is a profound act of redemption in a community that has lost far too many of its young men to know that someone else is wearing the shirt, that someone else is grieving along with you. It is a small small bit of participating in God's redemption. And as I consider how as a society we make redemption, it gets really hard to see how we do that on a big level. But we're beginning to see moments of that. How do institutions, organizations, larger nebulous things make some amends for things they know have gone wrong. One of the one is one of the realities is that churches of all sorts are wrestling with slavery, with racism in a different way. Knowing that the question of how do you address the inequalities of 400 years of slavery, of Jim Crow laws, segregation, how do you begin to address those when we still see the effects in our communities, in our members, the people we care about? How do we account for the lack of generational wealth, the lack of stable jobs, the no pay for labor to accumulate money through generations, even as slave owners were paid for their slaves working elsewhere? Now, it might not surprise you to know that some denominations had different relationships with racism and slavery than others did. And so I'm going to talk about just one of those churches, one of those denominations, and trust me when I say there are still more. So the Presbyterian Church in particular, um, as well as others, had a habit of hiring out the slaves of parishioners to local employers and using those wages to pay for the minister's salary. The Episcopalians did it, I'm sure there are others, 
But the Presbyterian Church, now the PCUSA, is especially beginning wrestling with what does this look like for us to undo some of our participation in an unjust system. Some of what we still carry for us in the foundations of our churches, in the wealth that created these buildings, these endowments, all of these things. So at least two ways that the institutional wrestling has made, um, has made something change. Columbia Seminary recently announced a plan that meant that any black students who were admitted to Columbia Seminary in Decatur, Georgia, would have their tuitions and fees covered. Full stop. As long as they are admitted, they will have those fees paid. And they are doing some other wrestling, but they said we have to somehow account for the loss of wealth in this community. Princeton Seminary, which is not affiliated with the Princeton University, weirdly enough at this point, um, was the preferred seminary of the South. So Southern Presbyterian ministers especially went to Princeton to, chain, to train. Their dormitories for ministers made sure they had slave quarters attached. If you go and you stay at Princeton Seminary today, you get these very spacious dorm rooms with a little room off to the side and everyone talks about the fact that those were, in fact, slave quarters. And so, as they wrestle with what this means for them now, what this means for Princeton Seminary that also has plenty of money, they created a $27 million endowment for scholarships for the descendants of slavery, as well as to meet other needs in the community to give some access to funds that had been held by a historically white and wealthy institution. So when we talk about redemption, I don't think we are ever talking about the question, how do we fix it? How do we undo it? Instead, we are answering the question, how do we move forward? And we are trusting that with God, that lamentation can be turned into something sweet.